If you'll grab your Bible and turn with me to Exodus chapter 20, we'll be at verse 13. We're continuing in our series that uh, I intended to be a short series that's turned into quite a long series. I didn't uh, look at how many Sunday nights that we had special things happening, and they were great things that were going on, but we are still in the series, Live the Ten. Looking at the Ten Commandments, not just a list of rules, but a way that we can do life and have a life that is better in the things of God. I want you to remind yourself with me, the Ten Commandments, we need to know them before we can live them. And the the first commandment is, you shall have no other gods before me. The second commandment is, you shall not bow down or you should not worship idols. The third commandment is, you should not take the Lord's name in vain. The fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. The fifth commandment, honor your mother and father. The sixth commandment, you shall not murder. The seventh commandment, you should not commit adultery. The eighth, you should not steal. The ninth, you should not lie. The tenth, do not covet. Tonight, we are on the sixth commandment, you shall not murder. As you look there in Exodus 20, verse 13, Your Bible probably says something like this. You shall not murder. You shall not kill, some say. The New Living Translation just puts it in three words. Do not murder. That's pretty straightforward. That's pretty direct. And the temptation is to assume that we have got this commandment down pat. I hear a lot of things from our church family of struggles and challenges we're walking through. And I've got to confess, I haven't heard many of you say, you know, I'm really struggling with murder this week. You may feel like you have a week that may drive you to that. But I haven't had many who said, this is what I'm actively struggling with this action this week. But before we dismiss this commandment and say, well, that's just some kind of arbitrary rule, I I want us to see that there's more to it than maybe what meets the eye. And that's why the title I've given tonight is Loving God with My Anger. That may pique your interest, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. Consequently, we've got to see that uh, even if I'm not a murderer, and even if I don't know why I need to hear this message tonight, I've got to see that God has something for me and how I can love Him even in my anger. One of the most well-known translations uh, puts this verse, as, as you've already said to me, is, you shall not kill. And this is a good translation. I use that translation many times. But in, in this particular place, the, the translation into our English word kill is, may not be the most helpful because the original language there is a, a wrongful killing, a, a premeditated killing, a, a killing that is not just and not right. Conversely, we can then see that killing is not always murder. We discover that to kill someone may not be murder, and we could also find out that we could murder without killing someone. We'll talk about that. But first, let's look at what murder is not. If we're going to live this Ten Commandments, to live this Sixth Commandment, and, and we're going to live it out and to not murder, we need to understand what murder is not. God's Sixth Commandment does not forbid, if you're taking notes, you can fill it in there, does not forbid killing animals. Now, I'm not a proponent to kill kittens and dogs, and I'm not trying to be a heartless person, but this commandment is not talking about the killing of animals. Some animal rights activists quote this commandment as biblical support for their position. But this commandment has nothing to do with 
animals specifically. God is talking about human life in this context. He does address man's stewardship of the animal kingdom. In Genesis chapter 9, we see that God spells out his covenant with Noah after the flood. In chapter 9, verse 2, listen to a paraphrase of what God is saying. All the wild animals, large and small, all the birds and the fish will be afraid of you. I have placed them under your power. I have given them to you for food, just as I have given you grain and vegetables. But you must never eat the meat of animals that still have the lifeblood in them. Also note that murdering of any human is forbidden. Animals that kill people must die. Any person who murders must also be killed. Yes, you must execute anyone who murders another person. For to kill a person, to kill a living being, means in man's or in God's image is detestable to the Lord. This paraphrase of verse 2 through 6 of Genesis chapter 9 clearly tells us that killing of an animal is not what the sixth commandment is talking about. God points out here that he's given man permission, he's given him dominion over the animals for food. He makes a clear distinction between killing animals and killing human beings. Now, friend, if you're a vegetarian here, there's nothing wrong with that. I I don't want you to feel like the Bible says you have to eat meat. But we need to understand that biblically, this is not a mandate to say we should not consume the meat of animals. That's not at all what the Sixth Commandment is talking about. The Bible tells us it's been given to us for meat. The second, we need to look at what murder is not. If we're going to live this out, we need to know what it is and what it's not. If it's, it's not killing animals, per se, and the, the Sixth Commandment is not talking about capital punishment. This passage we just read from Genesis chapter 9 supports the position, and it's reinforced in Leviticus 24, verse 17. Anyone who takes another person's life must be put to death. Now, I want to be clear here. The Old Testament is speaking often about capital punishment, and not only is it acceptable, but it is God's law in the Old Testament. It's a noteworthy point that here in the Old Testament, requiring to uh, us to live in a way to keep the Sabbath and keep it holy, if we don't keep the Sabbath holy, it also has a penalty of death. In the Old Testament, we don't see a lot of grace being established. God's sovereignty and his, his holiness is being established in the Old Testament. And so we see here clearly the Bible has some support for capital punishment. But we need to know that in the New Testament, it doesn't say much about capital punishment. And it's important for me to note tonight that there are many good Christian leaders who have different opinions on capital punishment. There are some who say the grace and the love in the Old Testament would cause them to wonder if this is a good thing. And, and though many Christians and, and the history of many Christians has supported the stance of capital punishment, neither position would take away from what the Sixth Commandment is telling us. The Sixth Commandment says you shall not murder. No matter what your opinion is on capital punishment, the Bible is not prohibiting capital punishment by the Sixth Commandment. Life is valuable and important to God at all stages, but capital punishment is not the focus of this sixth commandment. Thirdly, killing when at war is not what this commandment is talking about. In the Old Testament, frequently God commanded his people to destroy a nation, and including the women and the children in that nation, to, to keep his name holy and not to compromise what's happening. 
Also, we see the grace come in in the New Testament, and God tells us to love our enemies. This God of the Old Testament and the New Testament is the same God. He hasn't changed. He hasn't had a bad day in the Old Testament and and now had a good day in the New Testament. We begin to see that this same God is establishing his authority, his sovereignty, his holiness, and he is also now giving grace. But it's important to know that the Sixth Commandment, when it talks about you should not murder, do not murder, it is not speaking of the killing that happens at war. Now, I'm not making a case to say all war is good and pleasing to the Lord. In fact, all war brings pain and hurt to someone. There are many respected Christians who have a conscientious objection to war. And I want to be clear tonight that I want to encourage them as they follow their conviction in that standpoint. And and I'm not making a case that war should be a, a, a great part of our everyday life, but Scripture tells us that There will be in this fallen world war and rumors of war until the end of time. There's been many who have struggled possibly with the Sixth Commandment because their occupation in the military has sometimes caused them to follow orders. And this Sixth Commandment is not speaking about the killing that happens in war. As I noted, until Christ comes back in this fallen nature, there will be wars and rumors of war. No matter what position you have on war, Ecclesiastes 3, we see some sound advice. There is a time for every action under heaven, a time to love, a time to hate, a time for war, a time for peace. Obviously, we prefer peace, but to live this Ten Commandment, we need to know that murder is not talking about the killing at war. The fourth, murder is not killing in self-defense. That's not what it's talking about, the killing that happens in self-defense. The Jewish uh, translation of Leviticus 19.16 says something like this. You shall not stand aside while your fellow man's blood is shed. Jewish law talks about how you need to try to prevent the harming of another, but in defense for one, there is permission, there is encouragement to protect the innocent life. This is the terrible situation that many of our law enforcement find themselves in, where they have to protect the innocent, sometimes at the expense of taking the life of the one who is perpetrating a threat against another. The Sixth Commandment is not talking about the killing that happens in self-defense. It's talking about murder. This is what it doesn't mean to murder, but what is murder? Let's take the other side and look at that. First and foremost, murder is premeditated killing numbers 35 20 so if in premeditated hostility someone pushes another person or throws a dangerous object at that person and they die it is murder in this legal phrase of the scripture this basic meaning of this command is understood in most civilized countries whether they are christian or not they have some kind of legislation against this premeditated taking of another life this murderous intent certainly this also includes the premeditated taking of one's own life and suicide as i talk about this, I want to be clear that Scripture does not have a specific reference to suicide, though it does in many places talk about the value and the protection that is needed for human life. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, 
who lives in you and was given to you by God. Do you not belong to yourself? Excuse me, you do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. When you understand what this is talking about, that even our body belongs to God, we will treat it differently. You won't abuse it. You won't destroy it. You won't bring intentional death to it. The suicide is the ultimate selfish act. It's not taking into consideration those that we love around us and not taking into consideration what God feels, but it is something that we take ourselves. Now, I, I want to be clear that there are great pain and sorrow, my guess, for some of us who have been touched by this horrific act. I'll never forget early in my ministry as one of my mentors preached a funeral of one of his friends who had taken his own life. It was probably the most difficult funeral that I had ever been to. And, and we want to be clear and not condone and say that, that suicide is, is not that big of a deal. It, it is a big deal to the Lord, but as in the case of this individual, we had no idea what was going through their mind the last moments of their life. There was good reason to believe that they had had moments or many moments of not knowing what they were doing. In moments of insanity, they were not culpable for what they were doing, and so there was little room to offer hope, but it's important to know that as we're caring and loving for someone who has had this touch their family, that this is a piece of God's grace and understanding. But nonetheless, Scripture is clear that human life is valuable, and the intentional premeditated taking of any life is not condoned by God. We need to understand that This high value on life is also given to those who are not yet born. Every human life is sacred, and that leads to the next. Abortion is murder. I want to share, as I did just a moment ago, if you are here tonight and you have been touched by abortion, I want you to know that God has forgiveness for you. If you know somebody who has walked through this, so this is not the impardonable sin. In fact, the only sin that God doesn't forgive is the unconfessed sin. And so I want you to hear me clearly that there are many who carry great guilt and a weight on them. And in this area of disobedience before God, it does require us to confess before Him and repent and want to go another direction. But I need to be clear that this sixth commandment addresses the murder of an unborn child as well. Psalms 139 verse 13 and 16 says this, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. A preborn child is not just a fetus. He or she is a human being that is knit together in God's design in that mother's womb. A woman who protests and says, keep your laws off my body, needs to know that her body is not her own. Whether she acknowledges God or not, it is God's body he has entrusted to her. And that life inside of her is not her life, it's not her flesh, it is God's life that he has brought creation to. The psalmist goes on, thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous and how well I know it. You watched me as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. Every single person you lock eyes with, their DNA code was woven into their being the moment that they were conceived. 
the psalmist goes on, You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. All human life is sacred. Some of you today would not be here if your parents had listened to the advice of institutions like Planned Parenthood and those who want to make an abortion an easy and what would seem to be a natural response to an unwanted pregnancy. I have shared with some, but it might warrant sharing again. This is close to my wife and I's heart. I was born in the height of an abortion movement in the United States in Wichita, Kansas, who had record numbers of abortions that was happening in that city compared to the rest of the U.S. And God had put it on a Nazarene doctor's heart to allow his ministry to extend to his patients. He found a love and a niche for helping unwed mothers find homes and Christian families who would not only adopt but love and see it as an answer to prayer, the children that they did not feel capable of taking care of. When I was seven days old, God answered the prayer of my mother and father who could not have children, and I was given to them, I was born into their family, and I can never remember the day that they told me I was adopted. Because every single night at bedtime, they told me the same story of a mother and father who wanted to have a child, and they couldn't, and then finally God answered their prayer, and I knew I was that boy. It was a bedtime story that I grew very tired of, but I am very thankful that was ingrained into my heart of the answer to prayer for them. You see, when we look at abortion and we see it that is separate from the faces and the names of real life people, we're not doing justice to what God is warning us about. Live my ten. Do not take a life premeditatively for just any old reason. Friend, an unborn child is alive. Now, this is easy to share in a room like this. Maybe not all, but probably an overwhelming majority would hold a similar opinion. Why in the world would I waste breath on preaching to the choir on this subject? I think sometimes it would be good for us to hear again that this is not just a church idea. This is not just a political stance. This is not just an opinion of those that we do life with. This is rooted in God's Word. And there is value in making sure that we pass this on to other generations. There's value in us in a loving way to communicate life and hope to those who find themselves in what they feel is a hopeless situation. The Church of Jesus Christ, for a most part, and in many parts of the Bible-believing church, has held a strong stand on abortion. I wonder if we've been as strong as holding out the hope and the reconciliation for those who find themselves in what they feel like is hopeless. I'm excited to hear reports and see evidence that Grace Point is a place that lives up to his name and offers grace. But maybe we could take life so seriously that we'd be willing to go not only at lengths to prevent abortion, but to go at lengths to make sure that we give avenues for hope for children who are born into this world and for whatever reason their mother or father do not feel like they can help care for them. There's some of you who are actively involved in ministries like the Hope Center, and if you don't know about that, talk to me. I want to get you in touch with people who can help you see a great avenue of investing your service. All human life is sacred. And we need to see that God is not supporting abortion. He says, do not 
murder. Finally, God says that hostility is murder. Now maybe I get your attention at that. Probably most of the other points on this outline, you say, I can see that. And and maybe we've had some pain or hurt involved in one of those. And and it brings up some emotions, but we can see how God's word says that. But, But wait a minute, this is a commandment, the sixth commandment that says, you shall not murder what in the world does it have to do with hostility? And Matthew five twenty one and 22 listens to Jesus' words. You have heard that the law of Moses says, do not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are angry with someone, and you, are, you are subject to judgment. If you say to your friend, you idiot or you fool, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, You are in danger of the fires of hell. This did not rank in the highest of Jesus' podcasts on his sermon series of those who would purchase his sermons on iTunes. It didn't kind of sit well with everybody to say, what do you mean? Why are you equating this anger and this hostility with, with murder? When we're thinking about the Ten Commandments, this is an area that a lot of society would say, well, see, I'm better than someone else. I, I may not have taken somebody's life premeditatively in a state of murder. Jesus says, wait a minute. The intent of our heart, the hostility, the anger in our heart can make us just as guilty as we assassinate people with our thoughts and our words. Jesus tells us that we can kill somebody, we can murder somebody just as easily with our thoughts and words as we can with a gun. The commitment is suddenly hitting it a little bit closer to home. Jot this in, murderous anger is as much the result of what I say as what I do. In a couple of weeks, we're going to take a closer look at what it means to love God with my tongue. But here today, it's worthy to say that sticks and stones may break my bones, but we need to change the kid's slogan, words can murder too. We need to understand how often that Moments we've said things with, a hus- uh, with hostility that can be harmful. In joking, we say, I could just kill them or I could just kill her. We launch these rhetorical scud missiles in our speech, not thinking about the death that's written all over them. And this is not just about a set of vocabulary words that we shouldn't say, though there may be some truth and help for us there. It's about the intent of our heart when we speak with such despise of somebody. Jesus clarifies this for us. Out of the mouth flows what is in the heart. Where does this come from when we say things like this? Jesus is saying that what is in your heart will come out of your mouth. And so the intent that we hold in our heart can hold us accountable to the sixth commandment. This next point, jot this down with me. Murderous anger is more about what happens in me than what happens to me. See, nobody forces you to be angry. You are choosing to revel in your anger. Sinful anger, that is. It's primarily this sinful anger, this murderous attitude that leads to this murderous words or even possibly actions. It all flows, it all comes from what's in our heart. If you are mad at the world... Maybe the first place you need to look is inside your own heart. That's where God starts with his cure, and maybe that's where we need to look. 
If people have told you that you have an anger streak, and they've told you that you're angry, maybe instead of being defensive and, and trying to come against it, maybe we could stop and look and say, what is the source of what is causing that anger? Which leads to some application for us in this commandment today. How can I love God with my anger? I'm glad you asked. First, we need to distinguish between sinful and righteous anger. There's a big difference. If you've only caught part of what I said, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that every aspect of anger is sinful. I I love a quote from James Dobson's book. It's entitled, Emotions, Can You Trust Them? Question mark. He observes that the emotion of anger in and of itself is not only natural, but it's a biochemical reaction that God has built into us for self-preservation. It's what James Dobson calls a flight or fight reflex. Listen to his words from this book. Adrenaline is pumped into the bloodstream, which sets off a series of physiological responses within the body. Blood pressure is increased in accordance with an acceleration of heartbeat. The eyes are dilated for better peripheral vision. The hands get sweaty and the mouth gets dry, and the muscles are supplied with a sudden burst of energy. In a matter of seconds, the individual is transformed from a quiet condition to an alarmed reaction state. Most importantly, this is an involuntary response which occurs whether or not we will it to happen. It's important to note that Jesus is not talking about anger that is a natural response to an injustice. What we do with the anger and how we linger in that anger will tell us if it is a righteous or an unrighteous anger. But this biological response is not sinful nor righteous. It's simply a natural human emotion or reaction. My will transforms this reaction. It's something either I hang on to or I process or I revel in. What gives this moral moral character to anger is the heart motivation. If my motivation is self-centered, if I'm angry because I have been hurt and wronged and embarrassed and I am getting bitter, it is moving in the path of unrighteous or sinful anger. On the other hand, if my anger is others-centered, if protection for others, or it's God-centered, angered at what He wouldn't want to have happen, and it's happening around me, it can be a righteous anger. Jesus Himself was angry when He was cleansing the temple of unholy actions. Look at what the Bible says in Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. Don't sin by letting anger gain control over you. Notice it doesn't say don't sin by ever being angry. Don't sin by letting anger get control over you. I must control my anger and not let it control me. The text goes on, do not let the sun go down on you while you are still angry, for anger gives a mighty foothold to the devil. So if you're struggling with emotions here that are anger, maybe a good place to start is by asking ourselves, what is my motive? Be honest. Are you angry because someone has hurt you? Because you're embarrassed? Because you feel betrayed or because you feel caught? Are you angry because something has been wronged according to God's law? Second, if you failed this motivation test, well, what do I need to do? Confess my sinful anger to God and to others. 
The word confess means to say the same. It means that I will acknowledge what God and everyone else knows about my anger and that it is a problem for me. Half the battle can be won here by simply admitting that there is an anger problem in my life. Listen to the counsel of God's word. 1 John 1, 9. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from every wrong. Confession may not be great for your reputation, but it is tremendous for your soul. When we have freedom in our soul, it's far better than anything that we think we have in a particular reputation. In fact, we may need to go on to the next step of confession in James 5, 16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Being transparent before a trusted brother or sister can be an aid to healing of our emotions and woundedness in our heart. If you've murdered somebody with your angry words, God's prescription calls for you to go and repent and to ask forgiveness of that individual. Now, I want to speak a word of of pastoral advice. It is always good to ask forgiveness of those who we have wronged. But in an area like this, if you have had murderous thoughts about a person, you've had angry and hostility in your thoughts towards somebody, and they have no idea about it, you may not be helping the situation to go up to them and say, hey, I need to ask your forgiveness. You have no idea, but for the last 20 years, I've had anger towards you. They weren't wounded until you decided to tell them. I would like to ask you to honestly ask yourself, was that really out of repentance or a slippery way to say, I would like to hurt you one more time before I give this over to God. But for those where we have had an attitude of anger and no doubt they are aware and they have received the hurt and pain of that, we need to humble ourselves and part of God's prescription for us to have healing is to confess and say, would you forgive me? My attitude and my words have not been pleasing to the Lord. I want to ask you to forgive me. God can bring tremendous freedom in our life. Maybe right now, if, if you think that this anger thing is something that God is speaking to you, ask yourself the question, who have I hurt in my anger? Maybe making a mental list right now would be helpful. Some of us may need a couple of pages, if not a book, to complete a list. But we need to be thorough and brutal with ourselves and take steps to make this right with those around us. Because scripture is clear that our thoughts and our words are just as important as our actions in this area of character assassination. We're not going to experience victory in the area of anger until we humble ourselves in confession. Finally, ask the Holy Spirit to help you manage your anger. James says in James 1, 19 and 20, Dear friends, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Your anger can never make things right in God's sight. Sometimes I think we get most of this verse right, but we miss the other part. Sometimes we are maybe even quick to listen. And we don't speak so much, but we're real quick at getting angry. We need to make sure that we're allowing God to Breathe into us and temper us. We cannot do this on our own. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to help us. If we're ready to move forward in this, we need to ask this question. How can I change? 
when I'm asking God to change me and I'm open to accountability from a brother or sister, God has help on the way. I want to invite you as we come to a close tonight to stand with me. And as we stand, we're going to pray together. And uh, I want to ask you just to bow your head and close your eyes with me tonight. I have tonight in jest spoken that uh, many of us may not have committed the act of murder. I want to be clear that this is out of an understanding or a desire to communicate to a response of many who say, this does not apply to me. But I'm very aware that there may be an individual or two who have dealt with this in their own life. There is no unpardonable sin before the Lord except the unconfessed sin. God may be calling you to repentance in an area that is a deep, dark secret of yours that maybe no one else knows. An overwhelming majority of us tonight, I think the application for living the ten comes to Jesus' interpretation of this Ten Commandment as he expands this not just to our action, but to our thoughts and to our words as well. As your head is bowed and your eyes are closed, I want to ask you to ask the Lord, is there any area of unchecked anger or malice in your heart? Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. On a night like tonight, it's the, the core, the cream of the crop who gather to worship you and to assemble as the body of believers. I know that many, many of my brothers and sisters here tonight desire to live for you with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. But the enemy wants to bring destruction into our life, and a foothold can be an area of anger. And so, Father, I pray that you will put your thumb in our back of any of us on a blind spot that we may not see where anger is getting a foothold in our life. As we look at your top ten, your ten commandments, many see this as one that we think is a pretty extreme and obvious command not to murder. But Lord, I pray that you would pull back any kind of excuses we've made where we may assassinate people with our words and thoughts and the way that we communicate to or about others. Father, as you may have convicted us tonight, we confess before you. We want to say the same before you, what you see about our anger, that it is a problem, it can be a foothold, and we no longer want to be in chains to that anger. Lord, we ask you to forgive us tonight, and I pray that you will give us the tools to invite accountability into our life, to love you with our words and our thoughts. Thank you, Father. That you did not give us a list of ten commandments that we are to figure out how to live on our own. You have told us these commandments talk about who you are. And when we trust you with our life, you will prune us and help us to live out your commandments. Thank you, Father. 
for the strength that you're going to give us to move in obedience tonight. It's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen.